Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Outsider Art Podcast, Episode 17, Henry Daja, Part 3. Before we start, just a quick note that this episode may not be suitable for children or sensitive listeners, so listener discretion is advised. This will be the third and final episode on Henry Daja. As I've mentioned in the previous episodes, there's an abundance of resources on Henry Daja, and it would be easy to continue on to infinity, but I do have to let him go at some stage, so I'll apply the handbrake at the end of this episode. At the end of the last episode, I just delved into one of the more controversial aspects of Daja's art, that being that many of his artworks featured naked girls, and that many of these naked girls were depicted with male genitals. This, as well as his grotesque illustrations of child torture, strangulation and murder, have provided plenty of juicy material for serious scholars and amateur psychologists alike, and a vast range of theories have been advanced in the almost 50 years since Darge's death. Was Henry a pedophile? Did he have the mind of a serial killer? Was he just naive about the differences between genders? Or was there a codified intention to draw these girl boys that was driven from past experiences? For someone who was pretty much a closed book throughout his life, we have found that upon opening his books, Henry Daja was a deeply layered, complex person. Yet we can have no complete sense of who Henry Daja was, and that adds extra textures of fascination to an already fascinating character, and leaves a lot of open-ended questions. I think that time has aided in our view of Daja, time that has allowed a more nuanced examination of his work and the context in which it was created. Rather than the shock of the new, our more educated eyes can now accommodate the contentious imagery and incorporate it into the bigger picture. But the ongoing interest and continued study of Daja also means that new theories about his life and his motivations are also constantly arising. It's kind of inevitable, given Daja's body of work, that we will persist in trying to unwrap the enigma. Sometimes this may manifest in meticulously researched authorial projections that present a Daja that he himself may not have recognised. One of the trickiest things to achieve in a biography is to avoid the tendency to fill in the gaps with fictional additions that promote a particular theory or idea. 
It's especially thorny when the biography is that of an unknown person. Of course, this device does add colour and life to what could become a dry recitation of knowable facts. But it also often becomes a thread that once pulled upon may lead to fiction presented as fact. Daja's biographers are not alone in using this device. It's almost a trope of biography, autobiography and history, but it is something that should perhaps come with a warning. Reader beware, the person shown may not reflect the actual person. So we do need to be careful. However, if we keep this in mind, I do think that these theories can add further illumination to ways of thinking about Daja and his work. They're not necessarily going to be right, but they are going to be interesting. So let's take a look at some of the theories that have been put forward with regards to the naked girls with male genitals that are ubiquitous throughout Daja's artistic work. In his chapter, The Fantasy Phallus, John M. McGregor discusses a number of possibilities for Daja giving girls male genitals. He then goes on to present examples within the realms of gender fluidity, specifically girls acting as boys. He also discusses psychoanalytic theories that could be in play and raises the issue of potential homosexual experiences, sexual abuse and sadism that Daja may have experienced in his youth and especially at the Lincoln Asylum. McGregor comments, quote, While it seems unlikely that Daja was completely unaware at some level of consciousness that girls differ from boys in not possessing male genitals, it seems far more possible that he had no clear understanding of what they do possess. It is easily possible that he never saw the female genitals, even in a child. End quote. Girls in the realms are never depicted with female genitalia. Sometimes there are no genitals depicted in his naked children, but often this is related to the pose, angle or size of the illustration. In his writings, Daja studiously avoided discussing matters of sex and sexual anatomy. McGregor writes that, quote, It appears that he views all sexual activity as morally wrong. Even to write of sexual happenings is not permissible. It is perhaps for this reason that the realms contains almost no references to conventional sexual activities. He continues, it is, of course, possible to question whether what we are encountering was, in fact, an aspect of Daja's reality. Given the fact that he is depicting the realms of the unreal, is it not possible that this is simply an artistic conceit, a playful but perfectly conscious manipulation of nature or anatomy? While it is not possible to know precisely what Daja believed, it seems unlikely that he would have felt comfortable playing about with sexual facts in this way. It is also significant that he never makes reference to this to us astonishing biological fact anywhere in his writings. The word penis or any of the numerous popular synonyms 
is never used, and this body part is accordingly never referred to. Had he intended this transformation to be a special and unique feature of the realms, he would have undoubtedly have offered some explanation for it. It is we who are left to grapple with a massive problem, which to Daja was no problem at all, but a simple fact of nature. Female children, like male children, possess a penis and testicles. End quote. Adults in the realms are never depicted naked, and as there is an almost complete absence of adult females, we cannot be sure whether he believed that females developed female genitals as they grew older. McGregor, in his discussion of a psychoanalytic approach to Daja, comments, quote, The survival into adulthood of a delusional belief in the existence of female children with male genitals would seem, almost invariably, to involve a curious and ambivalent mental state of knowing and not knowing. He continues, Such a situation would seem to require reinforcement by trauma far in excess of that caused by the simple discovery of the crucial difference which distinguishes the sexes from one another. That trauma, in Daja's case, could have been supplied by the death of his mother just prior to his fourth birthday. Whatever point he had attained in his psychosexual development, there is sufficient evidence to support a prolonged regression to, and fixation at, the anal sadistic phase. This shock seems to have contributed to, and maintained, an unconscious awareness of an all-powerful and threatening phallic mother, now numinous because she was dead. End quote. Having dealt with the potential impact of his mother's death on Daja, McGregor follows this with some comments on Daja's sister, whose absence had an even more profound effect on his life and work. Sorry I'm quoting so much, by the way, but it's all very interesting, this stuff. So, quote. It was also at this point in his life that the concept of the female with male genitals became intimately linked with his sister. While all memory of his mother was repressed in later life, the obsessional involvement with this sister, who he had never seen, was established at this point in his childhood and persisted until his death. Inevitably, his conception of the missing little girl assumed many characteristics derived from his early experience of his mother, including the presence of a penis. A pathological identification with this essentially imaginary sister and the resultant confusion of gender is evident throughout the realms in relation to all the girl heroines in the work. Since all little girls possess the male organ, it allows for the possibility of Daja's becoming his sister, merging with her or bringing her magically back to life a process we've actually observed in the case of his identification with the murdered girl, Annie Arenberg. In a very real sense, all of the little girls in the realms are the embodiment of one little girl. End quote. Okay, so it's all got kind of heavy, but it does reflect what we have seen in previous episodes of the podcast. Trauma is a significant player in Daja's life, and like the other artists, 
that we have discussed, it has found an outlet and has manifested itself in his writings and artistic output in rare and unusual ways. A more radical approach to Darja's little girls is offered in Jim Elledge's book Henry Darja, Throwaway Boy. Elledge, an academic and writer, approaches Darja from the perspective of queer theory and presents his careful research in a reimagining of Darja's life as a gay man who not only had homosexual relationships but also suffered sexual abuse and trauma during his youth. From this perspective, Darja's girls are not in fact girls at all, but psychic hermaphrodites. Quote, when Henry uses the phrase Vivian girls, it's not girls that he's actually thinking about, but Vivian bells, fairies, pansies, queers or queens. In fact, in Henry's second novel, which also stars the Vivians, the characters who come in contact with them refer to them as fairies more often than not. This allows Henry to give them an otherworldly cast as well as anchor them in a queer context. Such ambiguity has been a mainstream of gay art and literature for centuries, and Henry tapped into that strategy and made it his own. When he depicted the Vivian girls, Henry was actually creating an image of homosexual boys running from adult men, leading troops against enemy battalions, and undertaking spy missions against the Glandolinians. If we're to understand Henry's vision as a novelist and as artist clearly and completely, we can't ever think girls when he writes or depicts the Vivian girls. Instead, we have to substitute girl boys, gay boys, or imitation little girls, which was Henry's term for girls. They are actually the Vivian girl boys. Henry revealed who Angeline, Violet, Joy, Jenny, Catherine, Hetty and Daisy are in his novel. But he disclosed what they are in his illustrations for it. End quote. Now, I can't say that I bought into all of Elledge's theories or conclusions about Daja, but the book is a fascinating perspective with some really intriguing historical details about the hidden lives of early 20th century Chicagoans. So we are left with many possibilities about what motivated Henry Darja to add male genitals to his naked girls. And I'm not sure we will ever likely know. Darja left us a riddle which confuses and confounds. But if he was to see the debate and controversy that has occurred for the past several decades, I suspect he may wonder what all the fuss is about. At the end of McGregor's book, there is an appendix that is titled On the Problem of Diagnosis in which he carefully processes potential diagnoses of Daja. He prefaces this appendix with the statement that, quote, The decision to confine discussion of what is fundamentally a clinical problem to an appendix separate from the book is based on a desire to circumvent, or at least postpone, the danger 
of Dajas being perceived as a case study, his work dismissed as merely symptomatic of a particular psychiatric or neurological condition. End quote. I find this approach commendable and something that is particularly apt when it comes to looking at the work of artists from outside the mainstream art world. So often their work is presented prefaced by the artist's biography rather than the other way round. I firmly believe it's the work that matters and that the biography and diagnosis is there to aid in appreciation and understanding of the work. Like any work of art, the work of the outsider artist, in inverted commas, should be able to stand alone from the artist. McGregor presents a vast array of diagnoses that he has considered or that were shared with him during the decade in which he was working on the book. Some of these, he mentions, have been offered with limited understanding of Daj's behaviour and life experiences. They include Tourette's syndrome, multiple personality disorder, temporal lobe epilepsy, schizophrenia, and what McGregor calls, quote, an encapsulated psychosis. McGregor, however, concludes that, quote, the apparent continuity of Daja's mental state throughout his life, its consistent development from childhood into adulthood, has led me finally to consider a rather different diagnosis, one having its origin in Daja's fundamental symptom, autism. He continues, Daja's unusual symptoms in childhood and later as an adult conform quite exactly to the less severe form of autism first described in Europe in the 1940s and now known as Asperger's Syndrome. He continues, It is significantly a diagnosis which accounts not only for his disabilities but also, and dramatically, for a number of his astonishing talents and abilities. End quote. Having myself worked and lived with people with Asperger's, this diagnosis seems to me to not only make sense, but also to help explain and round out Henry Daja and his life and work. Autistic writer Cameron Strawn writes about Henry Daja and autism on his website and reflects on the similarities between his and Daja's lived experiences. I'll put a link to the article on the podcast website. Of particular interest was his comment about obsessive collecting and the tendency to fixate on losing items from his collection. Daja's loss of a newspaper photo of Elsie Parubek, whose well-publicized kidnapping and murder in Chicago in 1911, was essentially the inception point of the realms of the unreal. Henry Daja is arguably the most well-known and influential of outsider artists. His work is held in the permanent collections of many significant museums, both mainstream and those specialising in outsider and art brute, including the American Folk Art Museum, which holds many of Daja's archives in the Henry Daja Study Centre, Intuit in Chicago, which has the Henry Daja Room Collection, and the Collection de l'Art Brute, amongst many others. MoMA, 
the Smithsonian and the Chicago Museum of Contemporary Art also hold his work. Daja has featured in a substantial number of exhibitions as well, alongside both past and contemporary artists, including Francesco Goya and Grayson Perry. But I think it is his influence on contemporary artists where Daja has really had an impact on popular culture, both high and low. It is not without some degree of delightful irony that we find that someone, for which the popular culture of his times were both the source of his artistic output and much of his inspiration, has now become iconised in modern culture. Daja has influenced, amongst others, artists, musicians, filmmakers, playwrights, novelists, poets, and even game developers, who have taken his work as a jumping-off point for their own craft. He has become almost deified within popular culture. You can even follow Instagram artists for whom Daja is a major influence. Kyoko Art, for example, is a Japanese artist who creates wonderfully faithful homages to Daja. And Philippe Cohen Solal, co-founder of Gotan Project, has not only produced an album with Mike Lindsay, featuring lyrics by Henry Daja, but has also made a fantastic seven-part podcast series about Daja, called Outsider, The Amazing Story of Henry Daja, which includes interviews with Kyoko Lerner, Michael Bonesteel, Jim Allard, Deborah Kerr, Grayson Perry, and Daja documentary maker Mark Stokes. It's recommended listening, and I'll put a link up in the show notes on the podcast website. As I seem to have repeated ad nauseum throughout this series, there is a huge wealth of material on Daja to explore, and I really have only just scratched the surface. It seems to me that Henry Daja can very quickly become an obsession and an inspiration that takes people on long journeys of discovery and creation. I would encourage you all to dig deeper with Henry Daja. It's undoubtedly a rabbit hole of immense proportions. But given that immense proportions were something Daja never seemed to shy away from, it's hardly surprising. I'd like to finish up this episode and series with a quote from the former director of the Contemporary Centre at the American Folk Art Museum. Brooke Davis Anderson, who escorted Daja's work to the mixed-up childhood exhibition that I mentioned in the last episode. She is quoted from an article in the New Zealand Herald at the time. Quote, I actually just find the paintings extraordinarily beautiful. I think they can live for me that simply. End quote. Righto, that's where we'll leave this series on Henry Daja. I hope you've all been enthused to check out his work further. I'll post the links I've mentioned and a reading list that will be by no means comprehensive on the podcast website, acast.shows.com slash outsider-art-podcast. I'd also like to encourage you to get in touch if you've got any questions or thoughts on an episode or if you just want to chat. I've had some fun conversations over the last couple of weeks with Scott and Amy, so thanks to them for their feedback and support. 
I'd still like to get some discussion going on the podcast Facebook page, but since it's still severely undersubscribed, you can also contact me via Instagram or now via email at outsiderartpodcast at gmail.com. And that's all one word. I'll put the links on the podcast website. And I'd be eternally grateful if you could rate the show on whatever podcatcher you listen in. Five stars would be appreciated, but I'd settle for four as it leaves room for the improvement that I know the podcast needs. A review would also be awesome. Please follow and do share the show with those who might find it interesting and informative. And look out for the next episode on... Well, I'm not sure who yet, but I'm hoping to present my first episode on a contemporary living artist. So stand by. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on the Outsider Art Podcast. (laughs) 